And again, I'd like to welcome all of you uh, to Lakeside this morning. We're glad that you've chosen to worship with us <clears throat> on this 13th uh, day of the month of November. Uh, in our family, it's an extra special day of celebrating because it's the birthday of our second uh, son, Joshua. And so it was uh, fun already to see his joy, uh, knowing that the day he was sort of anticipating uh, all week long has arrived today. <clears throat> and so I went to the 13th Psalm on this day uh, to read it just to see what it said. And the majority of the Psalm is actually the psalmist being very open and honest, asking God uh, for help and wondering why God's help doesn't come even sooner at times uh, and in the, the specific ways uh, that the psalmist might desire. And so most of the psalm is asking questions of God, wondering when and how he will act and intervene. Then the tone of it shifts at the very end, that after all the questioning, the psalmist says in verses 5 and 6, But I have trusted in your steadfast love, and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And as I read that last verse and thought about even the, the season that we're in as we're anticipating uh, giving thanks for the bounty that God has provided uh, in another calendar year uh, for each and every one of us. Uh, this past weekend, uh, last week, we had the opportunity as a family to travel to visit uh, my brother's family in Tennessee. And to do that, we had to drive right past my mom and sisters in Cincinnati. And so we stopped and I got to see all of my siblings as well as uh, my mom and my aunt uh, over the past weekend. And it was a long journey, a nine-hour trip to Chattanooga and back. And at each point along the way, you know, we prayed as a family as we began to drive for God's protection and provision. And then Monday, as we made it home, uh, there's just a four-way stop now right before we get to our street that we were at. And so we're at this four-way stop, and I am the next to go, and I know that, and I start to go. But it becomes pretty clear that a truck is coming to this four-way stop that doesn't seem to know it's a four-way stop. And so even though I had the right-of-way, I went and then paused until I saw that that truck realized there's a stop sign. And so then the truck slammed its brakes. And it's like, oh, that's interesting. And I turned on Greenwich Road uh, and then got to the very uh, two-hour street and turned my left signal on, but I had to wait for more uh, traffic that was coming from the other direction before I could turn in to finally our street. And then I looked up, and that truck did not see that we were stopped. And I didn't even have enough time to say anything to Amy, and then I realized, even if I could say something, like, there's nothing I can do. Like, I'm fully stopped. I can't go left. And I, he's looking down or something, and he just does not see me. And thankfully, uh, he looked up right before and turned off and went into the ditch around us. And so the first thing that Amy saw was this truck like, just go right past us on the road and like looked at me and I'm like, I promise I didn't do anything. Like it was, I, we were just here. I don't know what uh, he was doing or not, but it was one of those occasions again, very quickly of, for us just an, all along the way, uh, we were a little more intentional to say, you know, God, please protect us and, and watch over us here. And now we're, we're closer to something that's more familiar. We know where we are but we recognized that there's still not a moment that we can take for granted. And even in all of our questioning of why certain things happen the way that they do or how, um, life is a gift. Uh, it is a miracle, uh, and there are 
all of us, uh, if we have the eyes of faith to see it, can end uh, as this psalmist does to say we, we can trust in God's steadfast love. We have reasons to sing because he has dealt bountifully with all of us. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your faithfulness and your goodness uh, in our lives. Uh, we acknowledge as creatures there is a lot of pain and a lot of hurt and sorrow uh, that we all go through many struggles that don't make sense to us. And we thank you that in your goodness and kindness that you invite us to, to bring those burdens to you, to carry our sorrows to you, to ask our questions of you. But we also thank you that in spite of that, we, we can look back and realize we have so much to be thankful for. Ways that you have guarded us and protected us and saved us from ourselves and saved us from others. And, and so we do thank you for the bounty that we also get to enjoy in this fallen world. We thank you for the harvest time at the end of a calendar year that gives us occasions to to celebrate uh, loved ones and, and the resources and the good things that you've given to us. <clears throat> and we thank you for the miracle and the gift of life itself. We pray that you would help none of us to take it for granted, um, but to keep on trusting in you and in your steadfast love, to keep on singing your praises because you are the one who is worthy of it all. And we also come to you because you are the one uh, person that can't be taken away from us. You are the one sovereign who, who rules over all this world. And for all of our concerns and, and sorrows and anxieties, we thank you that you are God and that we are not. And that you hold secure all those who put their trust in you. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to rest in that, to find the peace that you intend for us as your children in that good news. And so we thank you for your steadfast love and for your salvation and for the bountiful things that you give us. In your name we pray, amen. I invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to, as Mark shared earlier, uh, the second letter written by the Apostle Peter. And thus it is titled Second Peter towards the end of your Bible. And if you're using one of the Bibles provided there in the pew, you'll find this on page 957. As a church family, we've been going through uh, each letter in the New Testament. And so as we're coming to the end of the year, we're coming to the end of our New Testaments. And we've been looking at how each letter begins and ends, but they start to get shorter here. And so uh, we'll actually only be in 2 Peter today. So we'll read the, the whole of the first chapter and then the conclusion of the last chapter in chapter 3. This is Second Peter. Uh, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, 
and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you'll never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Through, Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it's right as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And then we'll go to verse 8 of chapter 3. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we're waiting for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them in these matters. And there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. But you, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And that will conclude our reading. Uh, as we've encouraged all along, uh, what we've skipped over, we invite you to read uh, through on your own. And here it's actually not very much, simply in chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. But as Mark had already shared in our call to worship, it's clear as we read this that the Apostle Peter knows that this is likely going to be his last opportunity to write a letter to the believers that he addressed in his previous time. He knows that his life is coming to an end. And so that has him now reflecting on his own mortality and the sort of final words and benediction that he can give to people but then also a significant portion of this letter then is also thinking through the return of Christ, not just the end of his life, but also the end of time and the beginning of eternity. And so uh, in his final opportunities to address people, part of what he draws their attention to is the goodness for all of us to think about that reality as well. There will be an end to each of our lives, and there will be an end to time on earth as we know it for everyone. And both of those can be sobering realities that help us then to prioritize what are the most important things that we should do in the here and now. And how should we live? Do we look forward to that with a sense of dread and fear and anxiety? Or do we have a confidence which the Lord would want us to have as it's clear Peter himself has that though he talks about those serious things, He's not afraid. He's not trying to really make anybody else afraid. He wants them to live in the rest and the peace and the assurance that comes through the gospel. Um, but we, we might experience it differently. And so uh, his hope is that those who will take the time to listen to his final words will ultimately look forward to that day without fear, but rather with hope. It was a, a few uh, weeks ago, we were driving home, and uh, I think that we had finally gotten home, but uh, our oldest son had said to me, Dad, I, I wanted to ask you something I've been thinking for, for quite a while, and I, I think I'm, I, I want to bring it up now. And I was like, oh, okay. He's like, I've just been seeing these things out and about, and I just don't know what they mean. And so I thought maybe you could help me understand what they mean. And I was like, okay. He goes, what does it mean that Misney's going to make them pay. <laughs> I was like, oh, those billboards. Um, he's like, yeah, who is that guy? What, what does he do? So he's like, well, I don't, I don't know for sure, but I, I think he's a lawyer. And, and then uh, Joshua says, yeah, I saw one that just said, you know what I do. And, and I, I did. I remembered what. Uh, and I said, yeah. Uh, so what he's saying is if, if, if you have a need to go and get a reward or uh, paid for something that was done wrong, like he's somebody that would, would come and he'd help take somebody to court and help you. And so then I was trying to explain to them how we have a legal system that not only is the possibility of being arrested by those who represent the state in the form of the police and other entities, but actually in our country almost anybody can actually make a claim before a court on behalf of anybody else, and then they started to get overwhelmed with the thought of that. And I said, yeah, it's like a good thing about our country, and it's also a bad thing about our country. And, uh, but again, don't be overwhelmed by it. But for them, it was this image of there's going to be a day where you have to pay up. 
And none of us like that. Even when we're unsure exactly what for, we all uh, have enough awareness that we're not perfect, that we make mistakes. Um, And so sometimes we might not want to think about it, but that's not the way in which uh, Peter approaches his letter. He's talking about the reality of judgment, um, the reality of our own mortality, and ultimately the mortality of this earth. But he wants the people to ultimately have hope. And one of the ways he does that is just by his own example. And so I think the first thing we see in Second Peter is just this example of his part of a surrendered life. He surrendered to the reality that his time is short. And so he, he's open about it. He, he, he tells everybody that he knows that. He was told by Jesus himself after the resurrection that there would come a time in his journey where he would be led where he did not himself want to go. Where he would be bound like Christ was bound. And that he would likely give his life at some point for his faith. And Jesus had told them about this. And in Jesus telling them about that, Jesus invited him to go and feed his sheep. To to say to him, There is going to be an end, and it's not even going to be the end that you would ultimately love or write for yourself, but this is going to be how it ends, and I'm inviting you to pursue it, to go and feed my sheep, care for my lambs, and Peter accepts that. He surrendered to that call, and that was now a a time of surrendering, uh, of renewed surrendering after a previous time when Jesus simply uh, came by him as he was a fisherman and invited Peter to follow after him, to give up his, uh, what was comfortable and known to him in his way of life and to become a disciple. And Peter had chosen to surrender to the Lord, to become a disciple, to learn from him. And from that first time that he surrendered his life to when he renewed that surrender, all the way until what we read now, Peter's life was not one of just constant uh, growth. He had, in that time, good moments and bad moments, and then good moments and bad moments. That after his first surrender and being one of the disciples, he clearly had become one of the three disciples that had even more time with Jesus and got to see some things that some of the other disciples did not. And he even said some brilliant and and courageous things when he said when Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? And he was the bold one to say, uh, whatever other people say, you know, we say that you're, you're the Lord, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God. And then he would say things that he'd have to apologize for later. Um, and Jesus would rebuke him in front of all the disciples. And then he was one of the ones who uh, strongly at the Last Supper said, you know, Jesus, I'm never going to uh, let you. If everybody else runs away from you, I'm going to stand there and be with you. And again, Jesus has to rebuke him and say, no, you're, you're actually going to leave just like everybody else. You're, you're going to betray me in a way that everybody else will. <clears throat> Later in his life, even in the service of the church, the Apostle Paul has to confront Peter in a very public way and say, Peter, uh, you're actually misleading some of the church. You're creating a separation here where the gospel is supposed to unite us and you're making some people feel like second-class Christians. And so we have in a very public letter Paul recounting a time where he had to confront Peter. And so in his surrendered life, he's not necessarily an example of somebody who did everything right, but 
that's helpful for you and me because we will never live lives where we do everything right. And so what is really helpful in looking back in his life, however, is that he still, in spite of all those mistakes along the way, gets to this place where he knows who his God and Savior is. He knows and has confidence that he's going to be with him. And he believes that for all those mistakes and all those failures along the way, that God has grace and mercy and forgiveness for him. And so all those different points where he stumbled and failed, he also repented and expressed sorrow and continued to uh, embrace the accountability of brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he continued to grow. None of those things that uh, in one sense could have been sort of the, the premature end of his story, none of them were because his life was surrendered, not only at times in strong expressions of faith and in courageous obedience, but he was also surrendered when he realized he needed to say he was sorry and he needed to acknowledge that he was wrong and that he needed to grow and change from the mistakes that he made. And as he lived that life surrendered to the Lord, in spite of the struggles that were there and persistent in his journey, Ultimately, God's grace carried him all the way through. You know, we'd, we'd love it if we could just you know, pray now to go into the week ahead and say, God, help me just not make any mistakes. Help me not mess up. But that really won't be realistic <laughs> for any one of us. But it's still possible for us to grow, for us to mature, for us to, to continue to draw closer to the Lord if we are open to the rebuke of others, the counsel of others, the correction of others, that even in those moments, we can actually continue to experience all that God has for us. And sometimes, especially in those moments, we can experience that love because we know it's not dependent on us, but rather by God's grace. And so if Peter were to be among us, I believe he would challenge all of us to say, listen, any of you, and experience this life in Christ, which is why he actually says in the beginning, uh, it's an interesting way that he describes everybody. He says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. I think here there's uh, one, a connotation across uh, Jew and Gentile that if there are Gentiles who are reading this, he's saying, listen, your faith is of equal standing now with ours. You're, you're part of this long line from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David to the king of kings, the Messiah. We're on equal ground. But Peter is also saying that for all of those who've accepted the good news, even though they might not have been there for some of the extraordinary things that Peter was there for, which he talks about, he says, you're no less valuable to God than anybody else. And so then he shares about this amazing time when he was on the mountain and saw the transfiguration. And you and I might say, wow, I wish I could have been there. And he's saying, hey, even though you weren't there, the God who was there is with you. He's with you just as much as he was with me. And your faith in him requires just as much as obedience as mine did or the others or Paul or anybody else that you might think of. The faith that you have and the opportunity that you and I have to surrender our lives is the same that was presented to Peter, to Andrew to Matthew, to Paul. Are we willing 
to become disciples? Are we willing to follow after him wherever he would lead us? And are we willing to follow after him as he restores us, as he corrects us? Uh, if we are, we are willing to live that surrendered life that the Apostle Peter uh, is a living example of. That though he has surely uh, regrets, that he knows there's mistakes he's made, he knows he's also sur um, surrounded and supported by the grace and the peace that God has given him because of Jesus. And so that leads to the next theme of this uh, letter is not only his surrendered life, but it comes because Peter believes that God is a sovereign God. He can be at this place at the end of his life because he knows it's not about him, but it's about God. He says that though we've all obtained this equal standing of faith by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the righteousness belongs to God. And then he says it's by his divine power that he's given us everything we need for life and for godliness. God is the one who has elected and called us. God is the one who's given the scripture to us. God is the one who restores us and sustains us. He's the one who made the world. He's the one who will judge the world. He's the one who will remake the world. And so if he is the sovereign God in control of all of it, then he is the one who can extend that grace and mercy as he chooses. He is the one who can restore us and use us in spite of whatever we think might be our disqualifying issues. And another way that manifests itself in Peter's life is uh, he pretty regularly, as God used him, had other people point out to him that they were kind of surprised that God was using him. Uh, so he preaches uh, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the believers, and he's preaching, and some of the people listening are just like, I don't know what's going on. I think this person's had too much to drink. There's no way this is uh, a legitimate or a good thing. Who are these people talking in this way? And then even in chapter 4, when uh, Peter and John are brought before the council, and they're giving an account now for how a healing happened. As they ask them, how did this happen, and what were you doing? And Peter gives a defense. Eventually, the council steps back, and they're like, this just doesn't make sense. These are uneducated people from Galilee. How can they talk like this? How can they have this kind of boldness? How can they move with this kind of authority? Uh, you can read uh, even uh, commentaries today where uh, if you're reflecting on 1 Peter and uh, plenty uh, of people will just acknowledge the Greek in 1 Peter is beautiful. It, it reveals a profound mind writing the letter. But then for some people, they'll say, uh, that, I don't think Peter could have written 1 Peter because it's just so polished. It's so uh, beautiful. And I imagine as Peter you know, hears that kind of commentary, he just says, that's what they've been saying about me my whole life. <laughs> How could I possibly, an uneducated fisherman from northern Israel, be used by God to do the things that I've done? Who am I that the Lord himself would say, Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter knows that has nothing to do with him. That has everything to do with God, that he's the sovereign one. It's his righteousness in which we stand. It's his revelation that comes and gives us the scriptures. It's his divine power that gives us the strength that we need to 
do everything that he's called us to do. And when we realize he's the one who will then will stand before on judgment day, we then have nothing to fear. Because if we stand before him right now and we surrender to him right now, and he promises to forgive us and he promises to restore us, then we know that in that relationship with him that he will continue to keep us safe and secure. A Christian doesn't fear death because a Christian chooses to die before they die. It's the calling for all of us that Jesus said, um, if you're willing to die to yourself and follow after me, you'll find life and you'll find it eternally. If you're willing to accept the judgment of God upon your life, which is that neither you or I could ever save ourselves, that's the judgment that is revealed about you and me. But if we accept that and say, okay, so is there any other way that I could be saved? Because if it's not going to be by my intelligence and it's not going to be by my background, it's not going to be by my family connections, it's not going to be by just by my raw effort, how can I find salvation against that judgment? Well, we can find it as a gift from him. We can receive it freely as his own offering to us of his grace and mercy because of Jesus Christ and all that he's done for us. Where can we find wisdom for the future? We can find it in his word and in his counsel. We can receive it as a gift from a sovereign God. And so the apostle Peter wants them to know that as they think about that future, God is just as in control of what's going to happen tomorrow as he is today as he was yesterday. He's sovereign. And however much time it takes, it's not taking more time because there's something that's not quite happening with the plan. I mean, you give me almost any, like, at-home DIY project, and it'll take more time than I thought it was going to because I'm just very incompetent. And so something that should probably take 10 minutes will, I'm, I think, three days later, I'm still working on that. Why am I still working on that? Because I just don't know what I'm doing. And so I need to learn through mistakes what I'm doing. Peter's like, listen, if God's waiting, he's not waiting because he can't figure out how to do it. He is waiting because in his patience, there are more people yet to come to repentance. And he is not going to come a day early until everyone he knows who's going to come, comes. This world is not out of control. It is in his hand. And he says, a day to him is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. Since we met last week, God is not one second older. He is not one ounce weaker. He is and was and always will be king. And he wants us to rest in that goodness of his sovereign power and then lastly with all of that highlighted for his people he, he then says this simple truth or I'll summarize it hopefully in a simple way when he says that his divine power has granted to us everything that pertains to life and godliness he encourages all those who he knows are going to live longer than he is his time is short he doesn't know how much more time they have but his encouragement to everybody he's leaving behind 
is to make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. For if these qualities are yours and they're increasing, they keep us from being ineffective or unfruitful. So he's calling all of us to grow. For me, this simple truth that I need to remember all the time is that everything the Bible says about following Christ applies to every area of our lives. So specifically, if you think of the example of marriage, everything the Bible says about following Christ applies to marriage, even though not all of it and actually very little of it is specifically about marriage. So if you do a word search for the Bible and you just look up husbands and wives or marriage, you're not going to come to Second Peter chapter 1 because you won't see the word husbands or wives in there. But the Apostle Peter would say to each and every one of us who are married, listen, for all of you who have stood before others and made a vow for better or worse, for richer and poor, you know what you need in this coming week? Make every effort to supplement in your marriage virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. Like continue to grow in these ways. Or if you apply it uh, outside of a relationship, but you think of your vocational context and wherever you will be this time tomorrow uh, and whatever problems you're going to be challenging, challenged with, God wants you to follow him there and to honor him. And so tomorrow at 11 o'clock, add to whatever you're doing, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love, desire that those qualities within you and those habits and whatever habits are necessary for those to manifest themselves do those things. Be amazed that God has used you. Trust in his sovereignty and allow his sovereignty to encourage you to keep on growing. Because none of us are fully where we need to be. None of us can say, nope, I'm just done growing. I think I've learned everything I need to learn. I think I've reached the maturity level I was supposed to reach. What arrogance or pride would that be in us to say something like that? And so we can say that about our marriages. We can say that about our parenting. We can say that about our relationships at work. We can say that about our relationships in the community. If we're still here, and he's not about to call us home like Peter, what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to keep on growing. And if we keep on growing, that's what prevents us, when you go back and read chapter 2, from being like others who've stopped growing. And then in their stop growing, they continue to drift. And in their drifting, eventually, they walk away from the faith that once held them. And so Peter's saying that the best way to not end up there is to continue this posture of continuing to grow. If we are still here, there is still something for us to learn. There is still something for us to do. There's a deeper level of maturity for all of us to attain. And so he concludes the chapter, uh, his letter, by saying, Therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, 
take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but keep growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the reminder of people in your word like Peter who were broken vessels, who had good days and bad days, who had moments of profound and courageous faith and also at times doubts and struggles that can be an example for us. And we also thank you for the reminders within it of how great and glorious you are, that you are the one who is being patient, so that everyone who will come to you has the time that is needed to come. And we thank you for that patience that draws people to yourself. And so we pray that you would help us in, in the time that we have to not waste it, to not neglect it, to not um, go into cruise control in our own lives, but that we would desire to continue to grow not to earn your favor or your approval, but because we already have it, that we would feel liberated to be honest about our mistakes and our ignorance um, and to trust that in your grace you can help us in each step on this journey, that we can uh, grow closer and closer into the image of your Son, that this time can be fruitful and our knowledge of you can be increasing. And so we pray for your Holy Spirit to help us do that.